Hey everybody, this is Maddie Kay, and this is the Working Experience Podcast. The Working Experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on the... Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, Yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. Y'all need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? And HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. Just stay late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> They're moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Who ate my Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was wow. living his toenails at his desk. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Hey, everyone. It's Maddie Kay, and I'm here with... With John. John has finally agreed to come back to the podcast. He uh, is gracing us with his presence, so I don't have to kind of carry the whole thing. And may I just add begrudgingly that I agreed <laughs> yeah, to come yeah. back. I, yeah. I'm actually like a three-year-old child kicking and screaming. Well, usually you'd, you'd be asleep in front of the TV right now, I think. <laughs> That's right. I, I got up about, like, what is it? It's 9.40 on a Sunday. I got up about a half hour ago. I already need a nap. Right. I know. Well, I remember this uh, this woman who I work with. I don't really work with her. She's at work. And we were in the, the break room. And someone was asking her what she did over the, I guess, Christmas break, which is about 10 days. And she said, I, I just watched movies and Netflix. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Sounds, sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> I just watched. She said, oh, man, my husband's going to kill me when he sees the bill for all the movies I ordered. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds totally awesome i mean if i did that i wouldn't admit it like readily you know i would just be oh no but in you know today's day and age in society that's that's an open textbook yeah i just wasted my entire weekend staring at a screen yep yep and proud of it proud of it very proud wearing it like a badge yeah um, so we're going to talk about, I found these two lists yet again. I, I just can't believe the proliferation of lists that, everyone, uh, listen, everyone loves a good list. They do. Like, um, it goes back to, uh, David Letterman. Remember he always had the, yeah. uh, top 10 lists. They're always very funny. Uh, and, um, he, uh, yeah, it was a staple. So people love, or like, um, the, I talked about this with another guy named Daniel. He's a, a journalist for the BBC. <clears throat> and he said, um, you know, that, that men, I don't know if it's just men, but uh, that there does seem to be an inclination towards lists. Like, you know, everybody will ask, like, all right, what's, you know, Stranded on a Desert Island, top 10 movies you could watch. Or, and we were talking about the book, and the movie High Fidelity by Nick Hornsby, where the, the lead character is always listing things. He's, it's always like my top five this, my top five that. And it's like always subcategories, like top five Cheers episodes or like top five movies with a certain character or something like that. So I think it's, you know, I think it's everyone's need to, you know, um, kind of like boil down or simplify life like it's yeah. just like all right these are the top 10 things or or please tell me what what to think and do so i don't have to do it myself <laughs> it's just well i don't know if you uh you probably haven't listened to it yet i'm sure you will i i did a solo podcast a few days ago where it, it wasn't uh it could pertain to the office and i'm sure a lot of people take it you got to read this article it's how to be funny oh you know what i i i did i listened to the like the first like five or ten minutes of it hilarious i mean the fact that somebody would actually sit down and read this and be like okay i'm gonna do that okay i'm gonna do that and then come into the office and actually like you know write it down on note cards and be like bang nailed that one okay check that box check 
and then realize that they're still not funny and engaging and be like it's 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 the trying to do that and learn that is oh. the direct opposite the direct opposite <laughs> i know i know you are, it's you like you're not funny and that's what the, like the big you know you know people will uh watch you know stand up comedy or listen to stand up comedy and and think oh yeah, that's easy. I can easily do that. That was the advice. That that was part of the advice to watch stand-up comedy and do like, what... Stand-up comics destroy themselves for a decade before they can get good. Yeah. And even like the best of the best will still go to small clubs to try out material and then you know work through I think it's like most stand-ups will take about a year to get a good solid hour to get the timing right and you know it's it's an it's an art form yeah and it's very very difficult but you know everybody's like oh yeah I could do that no no you can't you, you can't do that I mean you can but you have to work hard and nobody wants to work hard for Christ's sake no they I just, just need to read given to them I need to read a, a how-to article. Oh, you know what I... <laughs> this, You know that site, WikiHow? They kind of teach you how to yes. do... Yeah. Which has... I, I've looked at a few of those things that are kind of useful for how to, I don't know, like peel an avocado... Not avocado, like an artichoke or something. You know, but no, there's it's a, useful. It's definitely useful. But there's a WikiHow on how to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's... Like, if you do A, B, C, D... <laughs> And E, and then you'll be funny. I mean, that that's just how it's going to work. And, you know, like when you mentioned routines and whatnot, like I've heard that a lot of the professional stand-up comics, like when you meet them in person, they're really not very funny. Like they're not cracking jokes and because it's a little different for them. Like they're honing jokes. They're working on their timing. Like it's, and when they're in a, a, a social setting, it's not the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not just like the the joke because a really good comedian can take a mediocre joke and make it hilarious just with timing. Yes. It's the pauses, it's the silence, it's the delivery. Like that's that's where it gets really really difficult. Is um, you know, the, like the facial expressions, like you watch someone like Dave Chappelle and it's just, it's just brilliant. You know, he'll take, you know, somewhat of a funny joke, but he'll make it absolutely hilarious just the way he delivers it. See, and that's what I want to bring into the workplace. I just need to workshop the jokes. I need to, uh, <laughs> to... Oh yeah, yeah. But... yeah definitely. Uh, any given meeting, you just, you take it as a stand-up <laughs> Well, remember that guy? So it's such a bad idea. It's I know, hilarious. But these people are serious about it. Like they seriously, you know, it's like being funny in the office can help you get ahead because people like to be around funny people and whatnot. And it's just like, well, you're also like to a certain degree, like you're forced to laugh. Oh yeah, like, yeah. I've been in meetings, like you know, I've gone to you know network meetings and pitch meetings where. You know, if if someone says a joke, it's kind of impolite not to like smile or give a little giggle, even though if it's a horrific <laughs> joke. You know, yeah. like if they were if they were delivering that on stage, they would get silence and or things thrown at. Them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, remember yeah. the guy? I I use this as an example. Remember we went up to see Tom in upstate New York and he had that roommate. Oh yeah. And he and he comes in and he's you know, we're just like, hey, how's it going? Hey, hey, did you guys hear about Bill Clinton and the uh, blah blah blah. Yeah, he's in the oral office. And oh. we're just kinda looking at him like, I'm sorry, are we supposed to pay a cover charge for this? Like, and you know that guy was waiting. Yeah. He couldn't he couldn't wait for us to get there. I know. So he could deliver that stupid joke. I know. And it's just like, it's so weird, like people you don't even know to walk in and, and instead of like having a funny quip about like, you know, geez, you drove up here for this terrible weather, you know, whatever. No, it's like, I'm waiting to tell this joke. <laughs> are they coming? Are they here? What are they <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. 
going through his note cards. <laughs> oh, God. Or instead of saying, like, oh, you know, I, I heard this kind of funny joke and telling it and being like, ah, it's kind of... No, no, he came in and was, like, standing there as we're sitting, as his audience. And I, I remember being at a party in Brooklyn and this guy came in. He was a really weird guy. And he started doing that. We were, he was, like, telling these jokes about, like, his his balls dragging on the floor and stuff like and it was it was apropos of nothing we were just like sitting there like i, I don't know like you almost expected like a spotlight to come down on him as he's performing and it turned out he was like uh you know trying to be a stand-up comic and what i'm like buddy save it for the friggin save it save it for your uh what is that the upright citizens brigade comedy <laughs> workshop save it so my friend Dan uh, <clears throat> did a, um, they have like a script kind of skit writing workshop they do. So he's a writer. So, he, you know, he decided he'd try it out. But then they had to, as an assignment, go over to the improv class. And it was like the improv comedy class. And he said it was just a festival of pain, these people. Like, obviously, for some of them, this was their last-ditch effort at becoming a stand-up or an actor. And he said it was just like, oh, God. It, it, it was so, like, I don't know. They were supposed to sit and watch them and try to come up with skits for their ideas. He said it was just, it was awful. And it's like, then you, you do that class, then you graduate to the intermediate class, and then you go to the advanced class. <laughs> Oh, you know, it's just so, you know, it's, it's like, um, I'm trying to think of another analogy of like, you know, you're, you're teaching someone to do something and it's just, it's It's not, not, it's not the right way to go about it. Not really. No. (laughs) and, and And it's, it's so cringeworthy. Oh, and so many people do it. They just like, you know, on YouTube and it's like fish in a barrel. Like I always felt that way with actors like in New York City. Like if you put out an ad to act in a short film for free, no pay, you wouldn't get anything out of it. You would, I mean, get these overwhelming responses. Like people just right. want to be in it. And it's just like shooting fish in a barrel. You can get them to do anything. Yeah. It's, it's almost too much. Well, um, to uh, uh, digress from our digression here, uh, we, uh, but, but that, that is like a technique people do use being funny in the office. And yeah, learning how to do that is just um, really kind of painful or thinking you can learn to do it. Um, what, the, what was the, um, what was the we, we were discussing on the last podcast, if it would be hilarious if we had a seminar or you know, we held something. Um, what was what was that topic? Do you know what I'm talking about? I like yeah, my job sucks. Or it was it was like a, like, oh, wor- yeah, like workers anonymous. That that would be like another thing. It's like you know how how to be funny in the workplace. I mean, <laughs> just just horrific. I mean, it's it's comedy in a box. Like it's just. Oh, God. I'd say, like, okay, John, here's the scenario. You've got a conference. You're in Toledo, Ohio, and uh, you've got to impress these people. I want you to be funny. Like, let's go. And then you come in, hey, guys, boy, that flight. How about airline peanuts? And I'm like, "Uh, okay, John, that's good. That's good. It's kind of an everyman approach. Um, Airline peanuts is a little bit, we've done that a lot. So let's just take that and twist it. Okay, we'll twist it. Yeah, it's a... It's like, how do, you, how do you lighten up everybody on that conference call? Yeah, yeah. Here, here's, here's three tips to, to get in your zinger. You know, <laughs> right. just... I know. I, and that, the thing is, that's exactly how it would come across. Like someone learned how to try oh, to deliver absolutely. these jokes. Yeah. Actually, I think the Workers Anonymous, also, in all seriousness, that would be very beneficial to people. I think people really would like some sort of support group where it's like, okay, my job is terrible. My boss dumps on me all the time. Like, and the, and, and there's no real solutions to it. It's just like an airing of like, this is what I go through. 
and someone else says, yeah, I hear you. This is what I go through. And this is, you know, that, yeah, that would be very helpful. And I, um, and we're going to discuss this in a future podcast of this, this book called Bullshit Jobs. And it would essentially align with, you know, that premise is like the vast majority of people are working in, in jobs that are just bullshit. Um, and to, to have a support group <laughs> yeah. for people to, um, to vent their problems. Here's the thing. I think that is hilarious, but at the same time, you know, alluding to what you were saying, it could actually help people. Oh, sure. Like, think about it is like, you know, uh, good old Bob, you know, he's, he's living in the burbs. He's got the, he's got the house. He's got the, got the wife. He's got the kids. And every day he's going to a job that is complete and absolute bullshit. <laughs> right. He's got to, um, He's got to uh, interact with people he doesn't like. I'm thinking of... If his job disappeared tomorrow, it would make absolutely no difference. Well, just to to put a a little specific... I don't know how to pronounce it. Be specific, um, like public relations. Like that, to me, seems to be one of the biggest bullshit jobs. It is bullshit, is what it seems to me to be. Like you are literally just spinning bullshit. Correct. And it, it, I mean, your job, it doesn't save any lives. The reason I'm thinking of this is I read an article in the New Yorker about this very venerable English public relations firm who would shill for anybody, for the worst dictators. They were involved in this huge scandal in South Africa. And it's just like taking this terrible exploitative con- company and spinning it into something good and like these people make a ton of money off of this too and it's such bullshit like it doesn't contribute an iota to society but well, public and, relations and, and, and is a huge and also thing too is like from a society standpoint it might even negatively impact it oh sure absolutely the same thing would go with lobbyists if lobbyists disappeared from the uh, from the U.S. Uh, political scene, we'd all be better for it. Yeah. Um, you know, and then there's the the book also cited. You know, corporate lawyers. Yeah. Um, and you know, and there's and there's also a bunch of middle management positions where people are babysitting other people. But just going back to my my Bob story, right? Who's he gonna vent to? It, nobody. No, I mean, the people at his job who also have other bullshit jobs, maybe his buddies, his wife doesn't want to hear it. No. They got a mortgage payment. They got to save for their college kids' educations. This guy's staring down the barrel of 20 years of bullshit. Oh, I, <laughs> he's, I, got, he's got nobody to vent to. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say 60 years, probably? I mean, he's, he's got to work. Wait, what's that? I, I would say 60 years. No, I, okay, let's just say like Bob, you know, let's say Bob is 30. So yeah. he's got like 30 years or 35 oh, years. Of 35, 40 years. You know, a day in, day out. <laughs> no. Like you're, you're spending 50, 50 plus hours a week on this, you know, this bullshit. Yeah, yeah just Which garbage. Just, and the, the other thing too is like jobs of value and substance that better society where you've got like the teachers, the policemen, the firemen, even, you know, like auto mechanics or plumbers. The irony of this is they're paid less than these, these people with absolute bullshit jobs, like a, 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 like a PR person, like you said, they could make a ton of money you know, spinning some bullshit story to sell some bullshit idea. Yeah, I know that it's just like the whole thing is it's like a house of cards. Like it just it isn't built on anything. It's just like real existent. I think what the, the, the book sounds like it's getting to is this real existential crisis. Like, why am I here? Like, what am I doing in this stupid job staring at the screen all day? shuffling money around that I don't even see and not like 
creating anything. Like, I haven't done anything. Like, I haven't... I think that's why... the I didn't think it was a great movie, but American Beauty... Like, people right. loved that movie because that was it. Like, he was in this bullshit job. You, 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 felt, felt, you felt his pain. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was very selfish and self-indulgent on a lot of levels. But for a lot of people, that's their fantasy is just to, like, tell their boss to go F themselves and to walk out. And, you know, but, I mean, the, the amount of people who do that is pretty minimal. And you can see why. I mean, it's like, it'd be tough to go home and say, kids... Uh, I'm pulling you out of private school, no more trips to wherever, uh, you know, I can't pay for your, you know, whatever, because I quit my job. And, you know, have your kids understand your existential crisis might be a little bit difficult for them. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But but I think in the beginning, you know, you got to set a, pre- you got to make some decisions before, I guess, to say like, listen, this is how I'm going to live. We're not going to worry about money uh, or, you know, I'm, we're going to do with less, you know, we're going to have a smaller house and, and that's the way it's going to be. You know, I'm not going to drive a Mercedes and we're not going to eat out three nights a week. And yeah, you know, and, and that's, that's a tough one because it's, it's a slow bleed, right? So all of a sudden you find yourself in the big house in the nice neighborhood and it takes, you know, a huge leap of faith and courage to just to downsize. You know, you know what? Some I, people just can't face that. They just they just can't do it. You know what? Um, uh, <laughs> what it puts me in mind of for some reason is, you know, the movie Rushmore. Yep. And Bill Murray is at his. Uh, oh, but Bill Murray, brilliant. Yeah. Well, that that scene where there's no dialogue. He, he's it's his two sons who are these awful kids. It's their birthday party and. He just goes and gets up on the diving board and he's got his glass of scotch and he just downs it. And he does this like half-ass cannonball into the pool. And he's wearing this Budweiser bathing suit. And he's just miserable. Like his, he's got all this money and, all, and he's just miserable. He's got these awful kids and this awful wife and he just like can't stand it. that cannonball is just so indicative of this like yeah it's it's not a fully formed cannonball no it's his half ass like <laughs> thing he basically falls into the pool and he just you know his wife is staring at him with utter contempt and yeah it's just great it's just really, really uh really sells it so speaking of jobs and wait, wait, uh, let me just make one last point oh I'm yeah yeah leave, yeah we'll leave the um bullshit jobs to another um another podcast the, what I think is just, um, you know, the ironies of ironies in a capitalistic society, you would think that a profit driven corporation or company would weed out bullshit jobs because it would pull down on profits and their profit maximizing organizations. Like this is not the Soviet Union a hundred years ago, you know? So it's, so for, for, and this, I mean, the author's taking, you know, he's, He's averaging stuff out. He's taking estimates. But even if he's, you know, 10% right, like, I can't believe that this exists in, you know, the United States, like the, 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 the top capitalist country in the world. It's just, it's mind boggling. Well, at, where is it? UMass Boston or UMass Amherst, one of those schools, they had at one point something like six vice chancellors earning over $100,000 a year. Six. And they couldn't figure out what one of them did, let alone what six of them did. And the at, at various points it had been two or three. Then it was increased to six for no 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 appreciable reason. Like, okay, we have so much more work, we need six more people to do this job, which sounded like two people could have done it. So I don't know. I guess that exists in corporate America as well. Like, we got to have so many vice presidents. We maybe they think it looks good. I, I don't know. I agree. It, they're supposed to cut down on waste, but. You know, I don't but, know. But you know, when it when it comes down to it, it's you know humans interacting with humans. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So if and there's a whole political game going on. So if uh, you know, for instance, like a scenario could be that you know a rich is a head of a department, and the more people that are under him, the bigger his bonus or raise is going to be, just for <clears throat> you know, uh, just for looks. And he could add people to his division or payroll, just so he gets uh, selfishly gets the promotion or the raise. Yeah, maybe some of those jobs could be bullshit jobs. <laughs> well, there's been, a, I guess, an unfortunate mentality in government where like, you know, a certain <clears throat> sector gets a budget and they need to spend that budget because if they like say their budget is 
I don't know, $50 million for that year, whatever government department. If they only spend 45, then the next year or the next budget cycle, they're going to see their budget trimmed down and nobody wants that. So the idea is you got to spend that money in order to sort of justify your existence. And maybe that's it too. Maybe it's like, no, no, I need all these people. I mean, I think you've seen it in production. I oh, saw I've, it as I mean, well. I've seen it in production. I've seen it in, you know, corporations, network budgets. Well, in uh, a film I mean, set. It happens across, you know, school budgets, yeah. government yeah. budgets. It's, it's universal. Yeah, and it's like, who is this person? Like, why is this person on set? Like, who, who is this guy? Or, you know, and a lot of times they're related to somebody and, you know, they, they know someone and they're there to, you know, like a, like a big budget production wants a lot of people around. You know, the lead actor wants two assistants as opposed to one because, you know, right. it's ego and whatever else. So, ego. I think a lot of it is ego driven. You know, it's, right. that's... Yeah, the bigger the production, the more people. And... Well, look at like, you know, the, this guy, Scott Pruitt, who just left the EPA. I mean, Jesus Christ, like... This is like a banana republic with somebody just in there from day one grabbing money, just grabbing money, grabbing money. And I think no matter how scientifically you lay things out, and this is why communism went belly up, is because you just, people's egos, you know, they, it's always sex or money and they, and, they screw and, and themselves. There's also, there's, there's power at play. Power, you know, ego, like right. If you transfer power from, you know, the private sector to the public sector, well, there's still going to be corruption. You yes. Know, there's, that's what... You know, and that's why, you know, you know, communism failed. And, um, you know, it, it's, there's, you're still, at the end of this day, you're still dealing with humans being humans. Right? Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> and no matter what structure you're going to, it's like, look, I don't entirely agree with, um, you know, the statement that capitalism is the best system that there is. But, you know, who said it? Was it, um, uh, was it some, you know, what was, the, what's the statement that capitalism is the best system you know, save all other systems, mm. right? Who said yeah. that? Was that? I don't know. Adam don't Smith, know. maybe, or but something it's like, like that. Let's let's evolve to like the next step, you know. And it's, <clears throat> but you're right. Like he was, he was like, was he flying like private because he would get harassed? That's what he claimed. I mean, Jesus, you're a fucking government employee. Like he's flying first class. Yeah, first class. And uh, he had he had his people out looking for used mattresses from different hotels and this <laughs> special lotion that he wanted. And it's like, don't you have a job to do? I'm sorry, don't don't you have something to do? I thought you had something to do. Like whether or not I agree with you, and I don't, but with with his philosophies on the, you know the environment, you're supposed to be doing a job. Like out looking for mattresses and lotions. Like what are you doing? Yeah, but I think I think his mo is just to not do anything. No, we're yeah, going to no. dismantle the EPA as much as he possibly could. Yeah. Well, so he had a lot job. of free time on his hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so did his staffers. Yeah. Um, so uh, I did find these lists, these uh, top 10 most stressful jobs of 2018, and then the top 10 least stressful jobs of 2018. And they took into account, uh, let's see, the criteria, travel, growth potential, uh, physical demands, conditions, hazards encountered, meeting the public, competitiveness, risk of death, life of another at risk. So I mean, like if your job is to save other people's lives, uh, deadlines and working in the public eye. So uh, the, uh, I forget if this was, uh, let me start with my number one here. Number one, what, no, let me start with number 10. Number 10 was a taxi driver, um, <clears throat> medium salary, median salary, 24,300 a year, a growth potential of 5%, which is not a whole lot. I could see being a taxi driver in Manhattan being extremely stressful. Um, oh, that's, that's a taxi driver? Taxi driver, yeah. Now, would that would they, would they like an Uber driver fall into that or a Lyft driver or no? Or does it specify? No, it doesn't specify. It just says taxi driver. I would assume taxi driver is more stressful because people who ride Uber and Lyft seem to be a little more... I don't know, upper class, I guess. There's not. Well, I, I guess it, it doesn't feel like there's such a doggy dog mentality. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, the next one was senior corporate executive. Uh, salary, $181,210 a year with a growth potential of 8%. I guess I could see how that would be a stressful job. I mean, I don't know what those people actually do all day, but <laughs> I guess, I guess yeah, it's I mean, stressful. It's, you know... I don't know. It, it really depends. With all this stuff, it just depends on your perspective, right? Of, of, of how stressful it is. Like it could be um, an extremely stressful and demanding job, depending on the industry, um, depending on your, you know, your workload, because that's like that title is very broad stroke. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even know. Like, <clears throat> and also too, it's like <clears throat> it could be stressful in the sense that 
you know, you, you know, you could be working 80 hours a week and you could, um, you know, you push your family aside, you push everything else aside and the, the job is your main focus. And then you wake up after 20 years and, and find out that you've wasted your life. Oh yeah. That's, that could be stressful. That's pretty stressful. <laughs> but like what, what, like with that title, senior corporate executive, would that exist at like Morgan Stanley? Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So what does that person do all day? Like what is that person's job description? Like they, they show up at nine o'clock in the morning. Like what do they do all day? See, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's such a, um, it's such a, like a general title, you know, like, uh, we'll say like your manager at Morgan Stanley, like what did he do all day? He, he would just, he would just manage, you know, everyone in his group. Uh -huh. So like that guy would, you know, he'd be, he'd be in charge of like reviewing your, your compensation, uh, you know, working with, um, HR to resolve any issues, um, any kind of deal flow that was coming in. He would like manage the project. He would assign people on those projects. He would, um, you know, he might be a client facing executive, um, where he's kind of just managing the whole kind of deal flow, but that could, that person's job and functionality in a different corporation could be something entirely different. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's a really, um, it, I guess it would be like someone saying like, oh, a doctor's a stressful job, but there's like 50 specialties and yeah. then 150 subspecialties. It's like, okay, what kind of doctor? Is he a cardiologist? Is he a, um, a, uh, you know, uh, a dermatologist, is he a plastic surgeon? You know, they're so, all doctors, but they're very, they do something very different. Would you classify your job at Morgan Stanley or your manager's job at Morgan Stanley as a bullshit job? Um, like, does it perform a valuable function in society? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. Um, you, you, you could see it. I would say no. I would say no that it is not a bullshit job because what we were doing, there were definitely bullshit jobs within Morgan Stanley, but right. what we were doing were um, we were trading uh, government bonds. So we were pri you know, providing liquidity and, and a market, making a market for government bonds, which helps the U.S. government run. Now, you could, you could take, you know, you come from the perspective of, well, the, um, you know, the U.S. government is funding um, wars and killing all around the world, right? So from that perspective, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, could, you, know, you could argue that what we were doing was facilitating that. But at the same time, we were also facilitating um, programs like Medicare and Medicaid and um, food stamps and you know, all, all other social goods. Right. So it, it, it's a, you know, if that market didn't exist, if there wasn't a market for government bonds, then the U.S. government couldn't um, fund itself and sell debt to corporations and governments around the world to fund its operations. So uh, to say that it would be a bullshit job, I, I wouldn't say that. There were definitely like managers or middle management within Morgan Stanley um, that like HR, you know, like there were probably layers of HR that were bullshit. Uh, there were probably uh, layers of corporate communications that were bullshit. You could, you could always slim it down. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like investment banking and trading, these guys, um, it was mainly guys, were getting paid so much money that if you were redundant, you would have been fired. That right. was kind of capitalist at its like purest form. Right. Like you, you either made the firm money or you didn't. And if you didn't, you would get fired. Yeah. Well, it's funny because money is kind of a simplifier. Like, I mean, my job is not driven in any way by money. I mean, it doesn't, you know, I don't produce money or anything like that. Certainly most people don't get into education to make a lot of money. So there are <clears throat> criteria that can seem kind of to some teachers vague and some, you know, like it's very subjective, like, okay, this one person thinks my lesson was good. This other person didn't. And, you know, sometimes it, it can get to be a little frustrating for somebody who's like, well, I think it was good. I think it was effective. Whereas at Morgan Stanley, it's like you either made us money or you didn't. And if you didn't, goodbye. And that's it. Right. Yeah. And, and those were certain jobs. And then there were other jobs and kind of operations where it, it could, you could make a case that, you know, part of your day was absolute bullshit. And then there's also the case where some people in a certain job could do their job in three hours in, in an eight hour day, but they still had to be there for five hours. A friend of ours said that about his job. I won't say his name, but he said he could basically finish his job. He works in advertising, said he could do his job in like four hours and the rest of it is just like... And I, I think that might be even a bigger percentage of people than their job is 100% bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Like 50% is just like dumb meetings that are absolutely have no point. Nothing's accomplished. But 
there you go. Like, <laughs> we have to have a meeting, so we have to, have to, we have to fill the day, so... Right, and then you're, if you're in that meeting, you've got to say something, right? right. So that's everyone's mo. That's so where my like they're, they're that's where being... my comedy that's where my comedy comes in. Right, that's exactly. what I... <laughs> there you go. Exactly. You always you always got one in the chamber. That's right. right. <laughs> you get the guy that's always got a one in the chamber. Got to. Oh. You got, that's that. See, if we were to lead one of these seminars, that should be your catchphrase, guys. Always have one in the chamber. <laughs> All right. Always, always come into that meeting locked and loaded with at least one joke in the chamber. Oh. <laughs> One in the always chamber. a joke in because because that's what it is that's what it is it's it's a fight to the death in there that's right you always want to get attention part of the seminar could be what if ted one-ups you oh damn okay you know you gotta you gotta be prepared for that you gotta have a few in the arsenal you know? it's, it's like you're just like you're slinging jokes <laughs> you know what you know it'd be great left and right and, and you know what guys and, and ladies don't wait for the laughs. No, 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 no. no. Right? That's that's an amateur play. <laughs> that's you, you you got to go in there and you got to spray <laughs> a grenade, a hand grenade, right in the middle of the room. <laughs> go in and be like, "Hey, have you guys ever noticed the difference between how men and women see marriage? Uh, you know, like women are all about everybody's like, what is this guy yeah, yeah. talking Just, about? Oh, yeah, open up these broad topics. <laughs> have you guys ever noticed the way that like like black guys drive a car as opposed to white guys? Isn't that weird? <laughs> Everyone's like, what? What? What is it? Yeah, always. <laughs> you, you have to. You have to start your premise with something that is has like racial undertones, or yeah. it's completely socially unacceptable. Right. And then pull them, pull them back in. Right. Like a true comic. <laughs> right. Edgy, edgy, but not too edgy. Not too edgy. Uh, so number eight was public relations executive earning one hundred and seven thousand three hundred twenty dollars a year uh, with a ten percent growth potential. Um, I could see how spinning bullshit all day. I, well, I can see how, uh, how, um, you know, that is a growth industry because these days, like you're constantly needing like a public relations person to spin the latest terrible thing that happened at your company. So, well, it's not, I mean, PR is not just about, um, you know, damage control, which it is to a certain extent, but P there are PR firms that are also trying to get new mark, you know, new products to market and new companies. Yeah. yeah. Um, so PR does serve a function in the terms of like marketing, but it all falls into like, you know, marketing itself and like, you know, the best marketing and the best PR is like word of mouth. Right. And it's not getting an edge shoved in your face at the, min the most inopportune time. Um, but so there, there are with anything, it's not black and white. There are, there are gray areas like, you know, inst you know, um, outfits like Doctors Without Borders, right? They use PR. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. You know, certain stuff. So it's not like, you know, all all PR we can label as this, you know, detriment to society that yes. should be. Whereas, you know, something like a lobbyist, right? You could seriously make a case that lobbyists should be banned from Washington. Like what good does a lobbyist do? Well, you could say like a friend of ours is a uh lobbies for um environmental concerns so you could say okay you know like <clears throat> listen this senator doesn't know about this terribly polluted lake you got to get somebody down there to say to the senator hey look you got to do this you gotta you know do the right thing here this needs to be heard da 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 but i think the people you're talking about is probably 95 percent who are lobbying for the coal industry which has no reason to exist anymore except right. to make people money but but even like an environmental lobbyist could is lobbying from a certain point of view based on certain backers do you know what i mean like yeah let's just say that um you know uh i'm, I'm trying to think of an example that would support my you know my point like okay so like let's say you know elon musk is um lobbying to get all you know solar panels you know ubiqu ubiquitous in the united states and he's lobbying for a certain project right so there's Solar panels also have a environmental cost because to make the solar panels and to make the batteries that support the solar panels produces a lot of environmental waste, right? So then you have to weigh the social good of clean, cheap, renewable energy with the environmental waste associated with that, right? Yeah. What I'm saying is like it's not a it's not a completely like black or white issue. Like, no, no, no. What no. I don't want is like the government should be for the people by the people, right? Yeah, right. So yeah. like. On all of these issues, it shouldn't benefit a like a corporation just so they can maximize profit, right? And the marketplace is not going to, you know, solve all of our issues and problems. Like, there's got to be a point where we, as a society, come together and say, 
no child in the United States should starve, just flat out. You know, that's it. Or, you know, another hot button issue is an immigration, uh, uh, immigrants, illegal aliens, immigration who come over the border, sh their children should not be separated from them. Like you leave that for the open market, they're not going to solve that. Right. Um, so, and, and there's 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 articles and uh, you know in the in the news of companies that are making millions and tens of millions of dollars from housing these Im these illegal immigrants because it's outsourced to private industry. This is yeah. and again like the prison industry is another thing. It was just just um, you know you have like um, prison guard unions that are lobbying the government to. Um, to uh, not legalize marijuana because people who smoke marijuana go to jail, which then would require them to hire more guards and security guards. Right. You know, so there's, I don't know, it's, it, it's just a, um, I kind of I kind of went down a windy road with this. But my main point is that, you know, once you, once you open the floodgates to this lobbying and then you have money that can influence our politicians, then you know things get very, you know. Yeah, yeah. Get, the right thing doesn't bad, get done. Things get attached to bills. And, yes, you know, right. And, and it's not for the public good. Well, all I can say is that I am very glad that Donald Trump has drained the swamp. Mm. He made that promise and he's kept it, and I will not hear any arguments to the contrary. So done. Yeah. End <laughs> uh, of story. Number seven was broadcasters, um, which this surprised me. The Median salary for a broadcaster was fifty six thousand six hundred eighty dollars a year, and there's a minus one percent growth, which I guess shouldn't be surprising because uh, the era of kind of the, the news anchor seems to have passed. And a lot of the local news is just stuff like people send in from their iPhone. <laughs> like it's well, not... you know, the, the whole the whole industry is in upheaval. Well, listen we, to we spend an entire podcast just on that. Listen like... to this next one. Number six, newspaper reporter. Oh. Sal salary, $37,820 a year, minus 11% growth. Like that job, uh, and I did a really good podcast with this guy, Daniel, who, like I said, is a BBC reporter for, for over 20 years now. And he just said his job has changed so much. And, you know, you used to have four people working on a story. Now you have one. And um, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. I don't think it surprises anybody. Well, you, well, now you have like institutions like the New York Times. Yeah. And yeah, they founder. are, you know, they're being pressured to you know, obviously to make money and, you know, no, no one's buying newspapers anymore. I can't remember. And I am not a technology person. I don't read a Kindle or anything like that. And I can't remember the last time I bought a newspaper. It just seems very wasteful. Like I don't read most of it. Yeah. So, so now they're in the game of, um, you know, clickbaity articles, yep. you know, that, and, and that's a death spiral because then that brings down their brand, yep. you know, right. gone are the days when, you know, they could, you know, put, you know, 10 reporters on a case for two years or an right. article. Right. Um, right. now it's like, um, you know, how to have uh, sex longer and, you know, how to, uh, I don't know, baby yeah. apple pie. I don't know. It's just, it's yeah. absolute crap. Yeah. yeah. And the New York Times is, um, you know, they're, they're integrating video and you can get 10 free articles a month. Um, but there, there's just ways around that that becomes very difficult for like a New York Times, a Wall Street Journal, a Financial Times, um, you know, to make it in this world. And then going back to, you know, cable TV and network TV is, you know, you've got you got YouTube, you got Netflix, you got um, Instagram, you got Snapchat, you got Facebook. Everybody's attention is being diverted a million different ways. Like when you and I were kids, a show would come on, and that was your chance to watch it, right? Right. Like Thursday night at eight o'clock, if you didn't catch that, you're screwed. You're, right. I mean, you could figure out with a VCR. I mean, I'm really dating ourselves. You could figure it out with the VCR to record it, but in reality, it was appointment TV. Yeah. And you weren't fast forwarding through commercials, so advertisers literally had you by the balls. Um, like MASH, remember MASH, like the, the uh, finale of MASH, I think it was like the most viewed uh, show of all time. Um, but now you've got 500 channels, um, you've got, you know, billions of hours of video on YouTube, young people just are not subscribing to cable TV. There's a major, major shakeout happening. And it's, it, for someone in those industries, it's very, very tumultuous. Who, who's the, um, he's an African-American guy, he's on ESPN. He, uh, there was just a profile on him in The New Yorker. I can't remember his name, Steven something. He's like kind of a very bombastic guy. Um, he's He's been in the sports reporting business for a long time. And he does like a two-hour show where he just, he talks about issue after issue. And um, I, I don't really follow it that much, but he was very interesting. And he had something very interesting to say about it, which didn't really relate to sports so much, but just broadcasting and consumption in general of, of media. He said, you know, like, 
the way people consume media now informs the way they think and they don't want to learn things the audience they want somebody to confirm what they already believe so it used to be that you read the newspaper you watched the nightly news to find out oh this is going on and you know as you consumed that news you would start to form opinions and you'd read you know maybe different sources and think about it now it's like i already know what i think about it and, and he's talking about the sports world but he related it to the larger world in general just confirm for me what i already think yeah no that's uh, that's fox news in a nutshell I yeah mean, and, and also to a certain degree is like msnbc totally. and cnn i mean you're just um forget about being challenged forget about debate like what happened to debate like now debate consists of uh, oh your facts are wrong that's fake news it's like no no no, no, no. it's like we, we all have to agree on you know we have to agree on that the foundation of the debate we all have to agree on science like it, to me that like that's where you lose me it's like once you question science or once you question like legitimate facts it's like look now now we're in a, now we're in the crazy we're yep. in crazy times yep yep well uh, i saw a really amusing video and i i understand these things are edited and whatnot and, and obviously my facebook feed is tailored to my more liberal leanings but it was <laughs> a reporter or some guy I don't, I don't even know what constitutes a reporter anymore asking these people at a trump rally about space force you know donald trump's Right, right. <laughs> they were like, well, we need it for exploration and things like that. And the guy said, well, you know, we have NASA for that. And they said, yeah, but they're going to find out what's really going on. Like Donald Trump's going to find out what's really going on in space. Not NAF NASA. Forget it. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, good, good. Uh, so moving through our list here, um, event coordinator. I don't know why that would be stressful, but it's on the list. $47,000 a year. Uh, that, can, that can be stressful. 10% job growth. Okay, well, yeah. I mean, again, that sounds very broad-based. Um, the next one, police officer, I would imagine, is very stressful, probably one of the more stressful. $61,600 a year, 7% growth. Um, just as a quick anecdote, one of the guys who's acting in my short film is a police officer in Brockton, and uh, he's been on the force for, <clears throat> I think, like 20 years or something like that. Brockton is a very rough city, a lot of crime, and he came in, we were rehearsing, and then he started telling me the story. He's training this woman Two weeks on the job, they go into a house and this guy comes at him with a knife and he almost shot the guy. And the woman was really shook up. She was like talking about, like, I don't know if I can do this job because, you know, potentially they would have had to kill this guy. And the, the guy, Frank, who's the actor, it's funny, he acts, but he's, he's still a, a police officer. Um, you know, he said, I don't want to shoot anybody, but like that guy's coming at me with a knife and he was threatening other people in the house. That's why they were called. Right. I mean, you know, I'm not, I, I'm a big Black Lives Matter uh you know, proponent. I support that. I, I don't like it when people say like, well, all lives matter. Well, yes, they do. But it's mostly black people getting shot, you know, getting arrested, getting shook down, whatever. But I can also see the other side with police officers like, you know, some guy comes at you with a knife, you're forced to shoot him. Now you're under the microscope and everybody's going to call into question what you did. And you could potentially be in a lot of trouble for doing something you had to do. You know, this guy's not like he's a good guy. Like he's not this gung-ho you know he certainly doesn't have any racial attitudes he's just a good guy but he said you know that's what people really don't understand is that like i understand he has a knife but he can kill me with that and so yeah, I, I no, and you know it's it's not um you know with black lives matter uh you know look what what <clears throat> you know it, it comes down to you know issue the bigger issues of like solving societal issues and so, so you know what um you know, so, so like if you are, you know, an African-American male uh, and you are, in, you know, you grew up in a neighborhood like what was what was the neighborhood called that your buddy's a cop? Uh, the city, the of, city Brockton. of Brockton. So, so Brockton. Right. So his opportunity. Right. His um, uh, chances of success are a lot dimmer than let's say my kids right who are growing up in an upper middle class white neighborhood certainly more challenges certainly more challenges yeah, definitely more challenges right yeah. um he is he is now they certainly can you know you certainly can make it but the the, the 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 deck is stacked against them right and there are so many issues that are dismantling um his neighborhood oh, sorry um you know like you know drugs um and <clears throat> You know, so the problem, and you look at it from a statistical standpoint, is the probability of, of him going to jail is ridiculous, you know, in terms of, and, you know, he could go to jail just for possession. I don't know what the statistic is, but like, 
if you're a white male, you know, caught with weed, or if you're a black male caught with weed, it's like you're 20 times more likely to go to um, uh, jail, you know, um, whatever the statistics are. But my, my, my basic point is, like, we, we as a society have to, sorry, um, you know, we as a society have to address those issues, you know, and um, because the, cause if you don't address the, uh, you know, the root cause of that, then, you know, the cycle's just going to continue. Yeah. Um, all right, so police officer number three was airline pilot, $105,270 a year. That's a lot of money, 4%. Growth number two is firefighter, $48,000 a year, 7% growth rate. And number one, and this is kind of tragic, enlisted military personnel, $26,000 a year, 0% growth rate in terms of salary. That's, uh, <laughs> I didn't realize military personnel really didn't earn earn very little money but i guess you would say most stay in for a couple of years it's not i mean some make a career out of it and i assume you make more money than that but uh yeah, i have a buddy who's been in the army for 20 years it's if you if you go to war you get like like which is sad you know you get more you get paid more like you get like yeah. service time i don't know like, yeah you get, like, you get basically i think like double that or something yeah um, so that's our list there. Uh, we are just about an hour, so maybe we should uh, cut this short before we lose our whole audience. Uh, so, uh, yeah, good good stuff. Um, we'll, we'll do a... Um, I'm going to reread that article. It's on lovepanky.com about how to be f the funny guy. Uh, oh, there's ten, there's 10 tips. They had a lot of these. 10 tips on being the smoothest man in the office. Uh, oh, here's one. You can learn to do this. How to be funny and make people love your company. <laughs> You can learn how to make people love your company. You know, that's great. That's oh my God. that's very comforting. There, there's one guy that we graduated with from Fordham who sort of fits this bill. Of course, I'm not going to name who it is, but uh, yeah, people seem to kind of learn uh, how to do these things. I thought it would also be helpful to um, learn how to be the office toady. Uh, and one thing you could do is be the office snitch. You know, snitch for your boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, okay, so uh, that was another episode of the Working Experience. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Yeah, thanks, everyone. I hope you... Until next time. Yeah, I hope you learned a lot. All right, thanks.